0: Kindergarten. I think, who's up today? Jordan? Jordan? Kellen? Right? Yeah, there we go. Here they come. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Chapter 14. We'll start today... Uh, When you get there, we're going to start down in verse 29 today. All right, Max, you're up.
1: Okay. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if there, And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you all can, can all prophecy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder but, the, but, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by a by spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
0: Thanks, Max. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that as we round out chapter 14, that that you would speak to us today, uh, that you'd give us wisdom and understanding as we look at a a difficult and, and often misinterpreted and misapplied text uh, I pray that today we would leave here uh, feeling encouraged and built up and that Jesus would be made much of today, uh, and that, Father, we would, again, see that, that having the Word at the center of what we do is really what you're after uh, and what you desire of us as a church. Uh, again, I thank you for all you've given us. I thank you for each and every person here, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We have been in the Book of Corinthians since January. We are on short rows, as I say, and we're almost done. Uh, and so we're uh, we're working our way through it, and uh, we'll be done uh, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and basically the whole theme of, of the book of 1 Corinthians is, if you recall, the church in Corinth was just a mess. I mean, it was out of control. Uh, there were all kinds of issues. There were all kinds of problems in the church. Uh, and so what Paul has done has is, is started by addressing the church and laying out the gospel and that what we're after uh, as a church is Jesus Christ and him crucified, that every time we get together, we want to make much of Jesus. And because of the gospel, then he goes in to show how we practically address issues in the life of the church. And in chapter 14, what he's been doing is he's been talking about order in the worship service. So the Corinthian church, their worship service was chaotic. It was out of control. People were running around everywhere. There was confusion. Uh, And so Paul takes time to explain to them how their worship services should look, that it should be orderly, that there should be a flow to that worship service. And what we did, Joe and I, is that we kind of divided this up, and, and, and if you look at it, you think, well, maybe we divided it up weird, but, but we divided it up the way we did on purpose because it seems like Paul spends a whole lot of time talking about speaking in tongues at the beginning, and then he rolls in to the last two issues, which are going to be prophecy and the role of women in church. And so thus far what Paul has said is that tongues should only be spoken in the church service if there is an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, then they need to pray privately. All right? And what Paul wants the Corinthian people to see that that what's more important than anything is word centeredness in our, our church service is making much of Jesus from the pages of Scripture. Not gift-centeredness, but word-centeredness. That we should desire to have God's word open and taught week in and week out so that we can grow in our Christian lives. And then when outsiders come into our services, they have the chance to hear the gospel proclaimed. So that when outsiders come in, they don't see chaos and confusion. They don't see weirdness going on to where they go, yeah, I'm going to go to another church. Like where they come in and they have the opportunity to hear all about Jesus and his gospel because the Bible's clear that it's through the preaching of the word that God would draw men and women to himself. And so as I said this week, Paul's going to talk about prophecy and the role of prophecy in the service and the role of women in the worship service. Mark Twain said this, and, and I think it's a really good quote. Mark Twain said, It's not the parts of the Bible I read and don't understand that trouble me, It's the parts I do read and understand that trouble me. And this is one of those texts that really doesn't fit well with with our modern society. But since we preach verse by verse, I can't just skip verses 34 and 35. We've got to kind of talk about them. And so every time a pastor gets up to preach, I have two options, right? So either I deliver the mail as it is and I please God, or open the mail, edit it a little bit, and please the listener and anger God. And I, I, I'm a major people pleaser, big time, but I would much rather please God, okay? So today we're, we're going to deliver the mail as it's laid out in the scripture. And so my prayer would be is that God's word would work on our hearts, that it would soften us so that we can leave here saying that we're in line with the truths of scripture. Not in line with what 2019 says is acceptable or being modern or hip or cool, but, but with what the scripture lays out for us clearly, okay? So, so in verse 29, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Peace. So Paul's given instructions for how tongues are to be handled in the church service. He now gives instructions to the prophets, and the same rules apply to them. Now, just as a refresher... And I laid this out about three weeks ago. I believe, and I think the Scripture would teach this, that the miraculous sign gifts that we see in the New Testament, once the completed Scripture was was given to us, once we had a closed canon of Scripture, that they no longer exist. So tongues or prophecy. But in this time period, right, in which Paul's writing, they didn't have the complete Bible yet. So new revelation was still being given to the church. The New Testament wasn't complete. And so God would send his word through prophets to the church. Now, since we have the scriptures, we have a better word. We have and and new revelation no longer given. We have all of God's revelation in the pages of scripture. But it was vital for this time in church history. So those who claim to be prophets, Paul said, in the service, and God gave them a word, if they stood up and said something, that word had to be carefully evaluated. What they said had to be carefully judged in light of everything that God had already revealed through the words of the Old Testament, through the words of the the scriptures. Otherwise, a so-called prophet might get up and he would begin to say things and he would begin to attract people to himself and then he would cause all kinds of problems, right? Which if you've lived long enough to see any kind of the cults, like you think of Jim Jones, David Koresh, any of those guys, these are the things that they would do. So they would get up and they would say, well, God's given me this word, right? And then all of a sudden they begin to attract all these people to themselves. I was in one church where I had a guy come to me one time and he said, listen, God's given me a word, right? And, and usually, Most of the time, if you think of prophecy now, this is the kind of guy you meet, and he comes up to me and he says, the end's coming, right? Famine, pestilence, plagues, we got to get prepared, man. Canned goods, handgun, generator, lots of novel, maybe some whiskey, I don't know, right? We're going underground, baby. And he had this long list of, of things that were about to happen that we needed to be ready for. Now, it's almost been 15 years, none of what he supposedly knew has come to pass, Right? And so that's why Paul says we've got to be very careful when people say that. In Acts chapter 17, Paul shares, uh, there's this great story where Paul arrives at a place called Berea. And he begins teaching the gospel in the synagogue to the Jews. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now these Jews were no more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so So as Paul's teaching, they're opening up the Bible going, okay, let me make sure what he's saying is in line with what we already have. And it should be no different for each and every one of you out there. We should test everything. As Baptists, one of our key doctrines is called the priesthood of the believer, and that states that all men and women can read the Scripture and can understand the Scripture because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that means if Joe and I ever get up here and say anything, and you're reading the scriptures and you say, hey, that contradicts what God's already given us, then listen, you have every right to approach us on that. You have every right to come and say, hey, pastor, I I don't know if what you said lines up, all right? And I promise you, we'll sit down and listen to you about it, and we'll try our best to say, well, here's why we said it. Here's why we believe that, that this is what the scriptures teach. But you should test everything. It scares me some days, and I've talked to Joe about this, and he agrees, is that sometimes I'm afraid that we we don't have enough discernment in our churches. That, That Joe and I work really, really hard to study and to make sure everything that I say up here is biblical and it's accurate, right? And we talk, we bounce these things off one another, but sometimes I'm afraid I could get up here and if I just throw enough scripture in it, people would believe it. That's why it's so important that once you leave here, you need to be studying the scriptures on your own. Your private time is so important to your growth as a believer. And in verse 30, we we see what the problem was, right? So so the prophets would speak, they would test test, uh, what they were saying, and then it says, if another revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. So the prophets were sitting there in church going, well, I got a word. Another one would go, well, I got a word. Another one, well, I got a word. Well, then they were standing up and they were shouting and they were speaking over one another. They were interrupting one another. And the service had just descended into chaos. It was out of control. And Paul says, man, there's no need for that. If one person's speaking, the others are listening. When that person's done talking, then the other one can stand up and speak. verse 31, he says, speak one at a time so that everyone can understand you, so that everyone can be encouraged. A lot of scholars also believe that Paul was saying, hey, when you're doing this, everybody's there too long, and nobody wants to be in church that long. (laughs) Right? Cowboys play. we got to get out. Right? They they play at 3.30 today. But still, you get the point. It's Paul saying, hey, there should be a proper time limit in our services. You shouldn't want them to be there two, three hours that let, hey, respect time. And when you're doing that, it's so out of control, nobody can understand. The time just goes by, and the next thing you know, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And then in verse 32, he says something that I think is really, really interesting. Look at verse 32. It says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. See, there's, there's this common idea out there that, that the spiritual gifts in the New Testament were these utterances that were so beyond the control of the speaker, right? Right? That that something so overtook you that you couldn't control yourself or you didn't know what was happening. And and there still is a movement out there uh, in in some of the new charismatic movement that that says these things, is that when the Holy Spirit takes control, you have no control, you don't know what's happening. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. In fact, what Paul's saying right here is that the spirits of the the prophets are subject to and in submission to the prophets themselves. So in other words, what he means is that you should never be out of control. Is that if you have a spiritual gift, you should be in control of that gift the whole time. If that gift overtakes you to the point that you can't remember, I would be a little nervous about that. Because remember, the Holy Spirit's a spirit. He is not the only one. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on 1 Corinthians says, The spiritual gifts are under the control of those with the gifts, and they can stop using the gifts at any time. Life in the Spirit is not chaotic or disorderly. And see, that's why we have the first part of verse 33. He says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So confusion, disorder, chaos, it's never a product of being faithful to the Scriptures. Peace is always the product of being faithful to the scriptures. See, that's why God's word is so important to our worship service. The word of God shows us how to have peace with God through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is because of what Jesus has done that sinners are made right with God. It's not what the sinners do. It's what Jesus did. Right? It shows us how we have peace with one another in this room. That the word of God then brings peace to our minds and hearts. The Word of God brings peace in the church. It'll make people who have no earthly reason to live together in harmony, and it creates a community unlike any on the face of the earth. The Corinthians thought that, that they recognized in the chaos of their worship service evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. But, but Paul's reminding them that, hey, brothers, spirit, the brothers and sisters, the work of the Spirit is always love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control so when the holy spirit works by means of his word he creates peace peace with god and peace from god as we submit to the truth and as we embrace it so what he says is that when it comes to prophecy when it comes to tongues right in this time period that, that there's proper order to be observed in our worship services so again, I, I said this last week, but, but if you look at our service, it's structured uh, in a very orderly way, right? We're going to open up with God's Word. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to then read God's Word, and then we're going to proclaim God's Word, and then at the end, we're going to sing back to Jesus for all that He's done for us. It's orderly, right? There's no confusion. It's, it's orderly. So Paul wants our worship services to be structured. There's nothing wrong with structure. But then there, there's, there's a third group, okay? Okay. And if you look at verse 33, it's divided up, right? There may be a page break in, in your Bible. Uh, and, and a lot of people argue over this. Like Scholars have argued, like, is the back half of 33 supposed to be attached to prophets or tongues, or is the back half supposed to be attached to what follows? And, and I would argue that it makes more sense for the back half of 33 to go with verses 34 and 35, right? So, so, so read that with me in 33b. Paul says, is in all the churches of the saints. So in other words, this is what I recommend as in all the churches, right? All Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches. Verse 34, that women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything to, they desire to learn, let them ask her husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So next week, we'll have whiteboards for all you ladies, all right? Uh, You'll have your name on it. You'll check that out. (laughs) Just kidding, all right? Let's look at the context of this. So first off, understand that the women of Corinth, right, in this Greek society, they were finding radical worth and dignity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christianity bestowed upon women value and worth that they could get nowhere else. That they were no longer second-class citizens in the church, right? Greek society treated women as second-class citizens. But the church said, oh, no, no, there's a place for you, sister. You're an image bearer of God. And so they elevated them in the church. They found equality. They found unity in the gospel, In Galatians 3.28, Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in other words, what he says is that what the gospel does is that it brings people together who otherwise are divided, and it brings them together in unity, and it restores dignity to those who the world undermines that the gospel gives great worth to people because what we learn is that the reason we're gathered in here today is not because of common hobbies or common interests or even common socioeconomic status. We're gathered in here today because the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken a whole bunch of rebels against God, a bunch of sinners. He saved them and he's redeemed them and he's placed them in one boat. And he said, now you have unity that's based on what Jesus has done, not on anything that you've done right? And so that gives great value to people who are second-class citizens, right? That, that gives great value to those whose society looks at and undermines and shuns. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that it's for losers and losers only. I love that. And so women in this society were going, man, I have worth and dignity. I've been redeemed by Jesus, and they're finding that in the church. And as we believe the good news and submit to Christ and we bend our knee to Him and trust Him, we will find your identity in Him and then we're able to submit to and serve one another. So, back in chapter 11, Paul had to remind women that just because you found this radical freedom in the gospel, it doesn't mean you should throw off gender distinctions so, so if you remember, back then, women were throwing off common apparel and common things that separated them as women. They were throwing those off, and, and, and Paul was saying, hey, if you're a lady, be a lady, dress like a lady, right? Like, look like a woman. That's kind of what he was saying. Um, and he's saying, just because of the gospel, has you found this radical freedom, it doesn't mean that you should throw that off. That there's still an order to how God has created men and women. And so the same thing kind of seems to be happening here. So we know, first off, from chapter 11, Paul had no problem with a woman speaking in church, praying in church, even prophesying in church. He said that as much in chapter 11. So by the time we get to chapter 14, it had it gotten so bad that he changed his mind? And he was like, never mind, whiteboards. No, that's not what it is. Now, now, there's plenty of debate on what Paul means by this. I mean, plenty of debate. Um, and, and there's some that are just extreme. They, they think that Paul just basically means, all right, ladies, shut up, denim skirts, little doilies on your head, uh, no talking, just be there, keep your head down, do what you're told. Right? I, in fact, I read one commentary that when it got to verse 34, it said, this verse requires no further explanation. I was like, well, I think it does. Um, so that's the ultra-conservative view. There are others that say, and you'll find a lot of these too, that say, well, verse 34 and 35 really shouldn't be in the text at all. That it was just a manuscript error and that it should be taken out. Uh, in fact, we have manuscripts that verses 34 and 35 aren't even in there. And so somebody came along later in church industry that had an axe to grind against women. They wrote that in there going, ha ha, get them, right? The problem with that view is, is about 95% of the manuscripts we have have verse 34 and 35 in them. So you can't take that out, right? That would be the more liberal view. And so both of those views are wrong. Like the ultra chauvinist view is wrong and the egalitarian take out verses 34 and 5 view is wrong as well. So what does Paul have in mind? Here's what we believe was happening. Is that the wives were asking questions in the meeting that were disruptive and even to the point of defiance. Now the questions could have been Legitimate. But what was happening is that those questions were becoming distracting and off-putting. A lot of scholars think what were happening is that fights were breaking out in the worship services between husbands and wives. So as a prophet would get up to say something, a husband would then get up to interpret what the prophet was saying or to give legitimacy to it. And the wife would correct him and be like, Hank, that's not what he meant. right?" And the next thing you know, the service had descended into chaos. Some scholars believe, and I think it fits the context as well, is that some of the women were getting up and trying to give authoritative statements and and, and asserting themselves in the role as elder or pastor. And so if you take chapter 11 and chapter 14 together, what we see is that women had and have rights in the worship service, that they have a place to lead and use their gifts. Okay? If you look at our worship service, you look at our church. We never want to tell women that they can't do anything, okay? We have women Sunday school teachers. We had a woman lead you in worship today, right? Joe has 3 women <gasps> leading worship for the youth on Wednesday night, okay? There is a place for women in the service, right? If we ever were to have like a theology class, right? I'm not talking about preaching on Sunday morning to just have a theology class where maybe we taught different things about the Bible. I don't think there would be anything wrong to have a woman talk about those things, all right? So there are places for women to lead and use their gift. But listen, the Bible places the oversight and conduct of the public worship service into the hands of men that God has called and equipped to lead and teach his word. Right? So test the scriptures if you don't believe me. This is very clear in the teaching of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in the teaching of Titus chapter 1. So we will let women use their gifts as many places as we can at this church. But as far as the authoritative teaching of God's word on Sunday morning, this spot right here where I stand now is always reserved for men. That's Paul's point, okay? And if you really think about it, what what Paul's doing here is he's saying, listen, instead of disrupting the church service, right? Well, back up. What women were doing is that they were disregarding this authority as far as the pastoral role goes. They were shaming themselves. They were shaming the leaders by their conduct. And so Paul says, listen, instead of disrupting the church service, that's what he means is shameful, okay? The disrupting of the church service, not speaking, not talking. Paul's like, instead of disrupting the service, instead of doing all those things and having fights break out, just listen, when you get home, ask your husband. That's what he means. And so if you think about this, men, This text right here puts a lot more responsibility on us, the man, than it does the women. So anytime there's verses like this in the Bible where it says something that we look at it and go, well, that's not very 2019, it's not shaming women as much as it's putting more weight and responsibility on the man at home. So he's saying, listen, men, if you're married in this room and your wife comes to you and says, hey, I got a question about the Bible, you better be able to answer it. And if you can't, you should be able to say, honey, I don't know, but, but let me go ask Joe. Let me go ask Byron. Let me get some commentaries. Let me do some work on my own so that I can lead you and help you learn and study the Bible. That, that's what it means, is if your kids come to you and say, daddy, I, I need help understanding the Bible. You should love the Lord and love the scriptures in such a way that you can say, well, let me sit down and explain that to you. And if you can't, again, go get help in understanding those things. So as a man, listen to me, you should desire to lead your wife in that way. See, really all this passage is doing is that Paul is already affirming the creative order that God established. That men and women are created equal in the sight of God with equal value and worth, but they are given different roles. Men are to lead in the home and church. Well, women are submit to the loving, biblical leadership of their husbands. Not chauvinism, not get in the kitchen, woman, not that sort of deal, okay? There was a clip going around on the internet this week of this old school Baptist pastor, and he was talking about, if you read the story of the prodigal son, he goes, I didn't notice mama was in there. And which is really bad reading of the text, okay? The whole point was not the mother. It was about the lavish love of God for prodigals. But he goes on to say basically that um, we got more women spending time in the gym than we do in the kitchen. And what's sad is you got a bunch of men in the church going, amen, man, whoa! Slapping their pews and stuff like that. That's chauvinism. That's not biblical leadership, all right? And that's not what Paul has in mind here is that women submit to the loving biblical leadership of their homens, of the, of the of their husbands. So men, listen, it means that we will be held responsible for how we lead our wives and families, period. Go back to the book of Genesis. Look at the creation narrative. Man was created first. Woman was created to be his helper. The instructions about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they weren't given to the woman. They were given to the man. The man named the woman. The serpent then bypassed male headship and male leadership by going to the female. And finally, after the female ate from the fruit, God held the man more responsible than he did the woman. You remember that? In Genesis chapter 3, he doesn't go, Eve, where are you at, girl? He said, Adam, where are you? I've said it this way before. Ladies, if Jesus comes to your house and knocks on the door and you answer the door, he's going to look at you and smile and say, I'll deal with you later. Where's he at? That's what it means. So men, I hope that you have that kind of desire in your heart to lead your wives and families in that way. I heard a pastor give a great illustration this week, and he talked about how um, he had a lady in the church calling with a question uh, about the Bible, and he answered it. A couple hours later, he said the phone rings, and it's the husband of this lady, and he's just upset. Um, He's in tears and he just said, listen, pastor, I have desired nothing more than my wife to sit down and study and read the scriptures with me. She's not wanted to do it. And all of a sudden she gets a desire to read the Bible and she goes to you. And he said, you cheated me, pastor. You should have sent her to me first so that I would have that opportunity to lead my wife in that way. And the pastor said, you know what? I had to tell him I was sorry and repent of that because he's exactly right. I pray that we would have men in our church that that would be your desire to lead your wives and your families in such a way that that if they bypass you to go somewhere else, that you would be hurt because you said, I want to be able to to share that thing with you. So if you're not married, then sure, you ask your pastor. We would love to help you. Students, if you have a dad at home, go to your dad. Ladies, listen to me. Like if, If you have a dad at home, you should go to him first, not your boyfriend. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're to submit to a boyfriend, okay? Go to your father, right? If you don't have a dad at home or maybe they don't go to church, then sure, you can ask Joe and I. But understand, in verses 34 and 35, Paul's not devaluing women. Instead, he's simply saying there's a creative order that must be followed in the home and in the church, and that is one of male leadership. And we should honor God's creative order, When we undermine God's creative order, there's chaos. Don't believe me? Look at our society right now. That's because we've devalued the creative order. We look at male leadership as a bad thing now. We look at it as a terrible thing now. But the bigger point that Paul's making is that our worship services should be orderly. That we embrace the good order of mutual respect and self-control as different ministries give place to one another for the good of the whole church. We embrace the good order of men and women not bypassing but celebrating gender differences in appropriate and biblical patterns of leadership and submission in the church and at home. And Paul expects that the Corinthians will have some problems with this teaching, much like most of us in 2019, and so look what he says in verse 36, he responds. He says, or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? He's saying, don't think that you can throw off God's law and invent your own rules that contrast what God has clearly laid out. God's word has not only come to you, Corinthians, all churches should practice the same things that I'm laying out. So the Corinthians should not deviate from what God has said because when they do, it just shows pride that they know better than God or they're more intellectual than God or that we've moved past these archaic understandings of roles in the home and in the church. C.S. Lewis was famous for talking about how every generation struggles with chronological snobbery, that, that we think we have this privileged insight that no one else has and our new place in history must make us smarter and better than those in the past. And what Paul's saying is, don't ever let that be the case. Allow God's word to be the thing that stands over us. Obey it and submit to it. Then verse 37, look what he says. He says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So what Paul says is that the mark of true spirituality in our worship service is not thinking that we have some enlightened insight that puts us ahead of other people because it's 2019, or or thinking that you know better than God. But no, the true mark of spirituality is not innovation, but obedience to the Scriptures. It's worship by the book. It's worship under the authority of the Word of God. I read a quote this week by R.C. Sproul, and this is what he said. He said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone's looking for power in a program, in a technique, in any and everything except where God has placed it, his word. That's a good word. I had a sister in this church the other day tell me somebody caught her and just wanted to know what, what new programs we were doing or what innovations we were doing over here to, to bring life back. And, and I loved her response. She just smiled and said, we're just preaching the gospel. Right? We're not very flashy up here. We're not really innovative up here. We're just basically trying to say, hey, this is what the Bible says and feed you the best that we can. And that's what Paul's point is, is that, man, we need to worship under the authority of the Word of God. And the reason is, is look at verse 38. He tells us what's at stake. He says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So it's not just being out of control. It's when, as a church, we refuse to bend to the authority of Christ and His Word. It will result in more than confusion and frustration on Sunday morning. It will result in not being recognized. So, so what he means is that a life of persistent disobedience and refusal to obey the words of the Lord will result in not being recognized by Jesus himself on the day of judgment. And that's not just for a church as a whole. That's for us as individuals. It's that we've been given the knowledge of God right here revealed in the Scriptures. And if we know and love Jesus and we trust in his gospel, then it should be our desire to submit to the word of God. That's why he ends by saying elevate prophecy, right? Or in our context, since, since that kind of prophecy's closed, the fourth telling of God's word on Sunday. He wants us to do that with order and decency. See, that's the theme of chapter 14. It's not for us to fight and argue about spiritual gifts, right, whether they exist or they don't exist, but to encourage us to be people of the book, people of the word, people under the rule of Christ. People who would be like the Bereans and would run to the Word of God to see if these things are true. People that would never stray from God's Word. That's how we're edified. That's how we're built up, by hearing God's Word proclaimed and taught. By lifting high Jesus through the pages of God's Word that we would seek to serve Him day by day in our own families. And as we bend our knee to His authority we begin to live out the life that He's called to live as, uh, called us to live as Christians. And I think that we need the principles that are laid out for us in chapter 14 more than, more than ever before. We need to encourage one another by learning and living out the Scriptures. That's what we need, folks. We need to seek appropriate order in our relationships with one another, as male and female, as we serve and give place to one another. And then listen, by embracing the truth of Scripture, we learn to say alongside Jesus Christ, Not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. And when we say that, the church is encouraged. The church is edified. It doesn't become about one single person, it becomes about us getting out of the way so others are built up and encouraged so that we can go out and be that that great commissioned church that God's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it shows us and teaches us. Father, I just pray that we would be a church that would submit to your word. That that we would see um, the order that you've laid out and not see it as a bad thing or a negative thing or a thing to, to fight against, but something that, Father, is good and right and true. And that, Father, as we submit to those things, as we have order and peace and, and, and harmony in our worship service, Father, then we would have order and peace in our homes and in the church as we live out the creative order. And that when we do that and we live according to your, your word, then, Father, all of a sudden we become a people that are, that are set apart. We become a people that are different. We become a people that lift high Jesus Christ. So I pray that as, as believers, that would be our desire to make much of Jesus. I pray if there's anyone in here today, Father, that doesn't know you as we shared the gospel and as we, we spoke about the perfect life of Jesus Christ, lived in our place for our sins, the life that reconciles and brings people who have nothing in common together and unifies them in the gospel, that, that, that Father, that you spoke to them, that you've drawn them to yourself, and that you've opened their heart, and that, that it's them that, that they wouldn't leave before they grab somebody, they talk to somebody and say, hey. I came in here as an outsider, but I feel Jesus drawing me and saving me and calling me to himself. Thank you, Father, for all that you've given us. Be with us now as we stand, as we sing about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us and how he's paid it all. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would. Please.